This morning, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. It's going to take us a little bit to get there, so be patient. Uh, book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Last week, we started a sermon series titled, The Importance of Spiritual Growth and How to Pursue It. Now, today's message is going to be a little different than most. I'm not necessarily going to expound on a passage of Scripture, which is what I like to do. Uh, but as, as I thought about spiritual growth and how important that is for us, especially for us to address this, as we start the new year, a time of year in which we, we make plans, we set goals, and people will make resolutions and so on and so forth. It's a, a fresh start is just a great time for us to reevaluate and to re-engage. And so uh, as, as I've thought about that, I want to share some thoughts today on spiritual vitality. I want to talk to you about keys to spiritual vitality. Now, what is spiritual vitality? Spiritual vitality is life for our spirits. It's life for our spirits. It's strength, it's energy, it's, it's a liveliness in our relationship to God. It means that we're connected to God, we're vitally connected to God, we're tuned in to God. Not just on a superficial level, but we're vitally connected to Him. And spiritual vitality, I mean, that's what we all want, right? That's why we're here today. That's why, you know, we gather. That's why there's certain things that we do as a part of our spiritual walk, because we want spiritual vitality. I mean, who, who among, among us wants a tedious, boring, draining experience, dull experience with God? I mean, I, I don't know anybody that would say, sign me up for that. We don't want that. And yet, that's the way that many Christians live. That's where a lot of people live for much of their lives. I'm talking about Christians, to where Christianity becomes dull, burdensome. It becomes exhausting. And, it, you know, of course, that's not the way it starts out. When somebody first comes to the Lord, then, you know, they're excited about their new relationship with Christ. Or when somebody who's already a Christian first comes to a new church, you know, arrives at a new church, and they start attending regularly, sometimes they think, Wow, this is this is kind of neat. I like the music and uh, the preaching. You know, it's helpful. It's encouraging. It's challenging. I can tell it's it's the word of God. And so we're excited about all that. But uh, but sometimes, sometimes a few months later, or it might be a few years later, you start thinking, well, you know, it's church is like all it's the same thing all the time, and the pastor always preaches the same way, and he's not very exciting, and the music. I think we sang that song before, and we, you know, and, and all of a sudden things start to go through our minds that we hadn't thought, uh, thought of initially because uh, we, we, we didn't start out that way. But the reason that begins to happen is because of something called gravity. Gravity. We all know what physical gravity is, right? Scientifically, but I'm talking about spiritual gravity. Did you know that was a thing where we start up here? And then we kind of get down here. And I, and I think Jesus addressed it when he said, I have this to one of the churches uh, that we read about in, in the book of Revelation. I have this thing against you. You have left your first love. 
your first love. And so one of the things, one of the signs that spiritual gravity is working on us, and one of the signs that we're becoming spiritually, maybe even spiritually lazy, is that we lose our vitality. We lose that energy. We lose that vitality we had when we first came to Christ. So there's physical gravity, but there's spiritual gravity. And uh, in, in my years of, uh, of when I was a full-time teacher teaching choral music, one of the things that I had to teach, and it was really hard with young voices, especially young female voices, was, uh, and I would talk to them about gravity. It's like this, this uh, uh, pitch gravity where the, I would tell them that your pitch is never going to stay the same. It's always going to drop, it, all, uh, except for like seventh grade girls. Seventh grade girls had this weird thing where they would sharp all the time. Never figured that one out. But for most people, for most students, I had to tell them, I talked to them about pitch gravity. And so we came up with certain techniques and methods to try to keep that pitch from dropping. And you know, once you get into high school, it's, it's a little easier. So gravity is all over the place, including in our spiritual lives. And when, when spiritual gravity begins to work on us, we lose our spiritual vitality. And so all of a sudden, being a Christian is burdensome. Coming to church to, to gather for worship is burdensome. We, we begin to blame the church and people in the church for our lack of spiritual enthusiasm. Church is boring. The preaching is boring. I'm not getting fed spiritually. I don't feel like I'm growing. It's all the same thing. It's all the same people. Now, I, and I don't want you to hear this wrong. I'm not saying that our church or any church uh, should never, never be evaluated. I think we should. And we do evaluation among ourselves. Um, we haven't done this lately, but we used to have a phone call on Tuesday night. And we, we uh, our worship team, and we just kind of go over the service, what went right, what went wrong, what can we improve. And because that's kind of been the underlying, really, uh, way of us uh, preparing and, and working. And so, I, you know, I understand. You know, last week I told you that when I hear people tell me that they left the church because they weren't being fed spiritually, I sometimes think that might say something about the people, even though they might be trying to throw their church under the bus, but it might say something about them. On the other hand, they could be right. You know, they could be right. They're, and it could be true of us. You know, so I, I could be, it could be true that I'm not preparing enough and I'm not feeding people enough. And so we evaluate ourselves. And I, I certainly evaluate myself. Sometimes I'm maybe too hard myself. So I, I understand that. But at the same time, I got to tell you that when I, when I hear somebody equate the service or for lack of a better word, the performance or the production of the service, to equate that with the fact that they're spiritually listless, that they're spiritually bored, then I get I get worried. I get worried about that. Like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna evaluate the the service with the fact that you've lost your spiritual enthusiasm. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm worried about the services because I want them to be helpful, meaningful. But a, a, a greater worry for me is when we equate those two things: our lack of spiritual vitality and 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 the performance. I wish I could think of a better word for that of the weekly church service. Uh, so when, when we do that, if somebody does that, if I do that, if you do that, when we do that, then that might indicate that we are making one of two mistakes. Here's the first mistake we might be making. We might 
we might be making this mistake that we've come to expect that one gathering on Sunday will meet all our spiritual needs. We've come to expect that with one gathering on Sunday, all our spiritual needs are met. That should be enough for us to remain vital and strong and energetic and excited. And um, of course, we know that's impossible. And maybe it hasn't occurred to us that spiritual health and vitality is like physical health and vitality. In other words, it's not something you do just one hour a week. You have to stay on top of it, on top of it. Sometime uh, recently, probably within the last year, and I wish I had written this down because I don't remember who said this, but they were talking to older uh, older uh, people like, like me, and uh, they were saying when you get to a certain age, then your spiritual health is a 20, I'm sorry, your physical health is a 24-hour-a-day job. You got to look at it as a job, not that it's like burdensome like a job, but it's like you got to devote uh, all day, you know, to, to keep yourself healthy, exercise, eating well, and all the things that go uh, along with that. And just recently, somebody else, and I forgot who this was too, said the same thing, and, I, and it reminded me of the first time I heard this, I thought, yeah, I mean, and you get it, right? Those of you that are my age, around my age, it's a full-time job to stay healthy. And this probably should be a full-time job for all of you younger ones too, right? Don't wait until you're older to decide you're going to get healthy. Because as I've often said, and I've told other young men when we play basketball together, I've told them one time, uh, when you're, uh, when you're you know, 25 years old and you lose some weight, people say, man, you look good. When you're 60 years old and you lose some weight, people say, are you okay? You don't look too good. So do it while you're young, right? Do it while you're young. But just as there are no magic weight loss pills, there are no magic spiritual pills Uh, Sunday morning, one gathering on Sunday is not going to be enough. It takes time, commitment on a personal basis to adopt some spiritual habits into our lives that will help us in this area. And if we don't, then we're going to get unfulfilled in our relationship with God. We're going to get bored in our relationship with God. So here's another mistake we might make about our spiritual growth and vitality. We might this we might make this mistake that we've come to believe that we need something beyond the gospel itself to be spiritual. We need something beyond the gospel itself to be spiritual. In other words, we start out with Jesus and the gospel, but we come to believe that we need to add something else along the way. Add something to, to Jesus. Add something to the gospel. Uh, some might say, you know, they, they, they have faith in Jesus plus deep biblical and theological knowledge. They got to have that. And uh, this, is, this might be where we get to the place that we say, I'm not getting fed because we don't want the, you know, the small group approach where we talk about our lives and problems. We want to get down deep in the Greek. And, the, and, and so we've kind of added that. And if we don't get that, then we're like, this is not for me, right? We've, we've come to expect that it's got to be Jesus plus knowledge and theology, and all that's good. I mean, I, I, love, I love to study uh, theology, and I've got lots of resources that help me with that, but I'm not going to let it, because somebody's not teaching or preaching that way, I'm not going to let it cause me to think, well, uh, you know, I don't belong here, and I'm not getting fed, or whatever the excuse I might give. 
would be. Some others would say, you know, I've got to have faith in Jesus, but I've got to have those emotional, spiritual experiences. I've got to have those emotional, spiritual experiences. Uh, a person I know, I won't say too much to identify this person, but a person I know, a uh, young, young wife and mother, uh, asked on her Facebook feed, and we're Facebook friends, uh, about a church. Uh, she wanted to try a new church. Now, she's gone to a church here in town, and she grew up in this church that I, you know, I know of, uh, some of her background. Uh, and but she wanted to try a different church, and uh, people started suggesting. You know, everybody suggests their church. This is come to this church, and that's I, I like to see that people, uh, you know, carrying the banner for their church. But um, she finally said, "Well, I don't want a church like that. I want a church where the pastor gets excited and he yells. I don't want to feel like I'm in a classroom." She said, "Okay, I mean, she wanted the the emotional." Spiritual experiences again. That's great. That's great. But when you when you start to measure your spiritual energy by your faith in Jesus plus emotional experiences, then you're you're kind of setting yourself up. I believe in emotional experiences. Right? <laughs> I'm Pentecostal. I believe in emotional experiences. But it's you know our, our Christianity, our salvation is faith in Jesus alone. We're not adding anything to that. Others might say faith in Jesus, but you got to keep the rules. Faith in Jesus plus strict observance of rules. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't dress this way, you can't do, uh, you know, the old saying, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with the girls that do, and you'll be okay. Okay, uh, again, you're setting yourself up if that's your approach. Because we think if I'm really tuned in and turned on, to, uh, you know, spiritually believe in the gospel and accepting Jesus is where I start. But man, I got to move somewhere. I got to move deeper. That's just my starting point. I got to move deeper into deeper things, you know, whatever deeper things might be. And when that happens, when we move beyond simple faith in Jesus to something else, those something else, whatever they might be, become idols or can become idols to us. And because they have no power, they're just idols. They have no power. They always leave us feeling drained and empty and disappointed. It's a huge problem. And it was a huge problem uh, for uh, the early Christians. Um, and this is why Paul writes to, to the Galatians. Uh, he wrote to the Corinthians as well, something similar, because uh, they had uh, similar issues. The Corinthians came to believe that they had to have some kind of ecstatic spiritual experiences. Uh, the Colossians came to believe they needed to have secret knowledge you know this is why the why gnosticism this idea of secret knowledge was uh, you know such a temptation um and the romans came to believe they needed to keep all the jewish laws keep strict observance of the rules but here's what here's what paul writes to the galatians in galatians 1 6 and 7 he writes i am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he look at uh, chapter three. He says this in chapter three, verse two. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? 
After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? He was saying, why are you adding something to the gospel? Why are you trying to move beyond what God has already done for you in the name of Jesus? Again, I repeat what I said a few minutes ago. When we do, when we try to add something extra to it, something beyond just faith in Jesus, then we're making an idol of something that will not satisfy us. Strict observance to the rules, to the laws, whatever is not, uh, is not going to satisfy us. Believing that if I don't have an emotional experience that it's, the Spirit of God is not moving, that's going to leave us drained and empty because that's not going to satisfy us. Or thinking that I just, we just, I just need to get deeper and deeper and deeper, and I want to, you know, I want somebody who's going to take us deeper. Uh, if that's what you want, I mean, you're setting yourself up again. I had somebody tell me one time, "Do you know what kind of preaching I like?" She said, "I like preaching that steps in my toes. I wanna, I want, I want to leave that place just feeling bad about myself. Just step on my toes." Okay. I mean, I'm sure you can find that somewhere, that's what you want. But Paul's warning to the Galatian people is that if we move beyond faith and the good news about Jesus, we're setting ourselves up for spiritual misery, for lack of energy and vitality. So those are two problems for practicing Christians, I believe, uh, when it comes to their spiritual vitality. We feel weak and lethargic. In our relationship with God, it's typically, typically, typically because we have unrealistic expectations of what a one hour and a half service can do, or we've added something else to simply believe in the gospel and applying it, you know, to our lives. So, what I want to do in my remaining time is I want to give you some keys to spiritual vitality. Some keys to spiritual vitality. Now, I'll tell you, just like I mentioned. Uh, just a few minutes ago, these habits, these keys are habits that can become idols. We can start trusting in them, thinking that if we're doing these habits, they're going to, they're the ones that are going to, these habits are the ones that are going to cause us to grow spiritually. And they're not. It's because we practice these habits as a part of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So if you, as I give you these keys to spiritual vitality if you think well that sounds familiar it, it it should be because i've shared these with you and and this is not something that you know that i i alone have uh you know discernment or i alone have a revelation on this this is from scripture and these are things that we've talked about in the past and we need to talk about today as we start the new year still trying to set good habits so the first key to spiritual vitality is solitude now, solitude is when we have time alone with God for the purpose of allowing our hearts to be nourished by God and to be shaped by His Word. To be nourished, our, our souls need time, our hearts need time in God's presence to be nourished and, and to be shaped by God's Word. Because every time you step out in the morning, your thoughts, your mind, your soul is being shaped by everything else that you do, all the conversations, all the things that you read at your school and at your job. All these things, your friends, are shaping your heart. So if you're only allowing those things to shape your heart, but you don't give time to God for His Word and His Spirit to shape your heart, 
then you're going to find yourself being emotionally uh, or spiritually rather drained. And uh, so it's important that we understand we're not talking about time alone as an isolation. In other words, I just the world is too much and I got to get away from all these people. Got to get away from my job. These people are crazy. They're driving me crazy and disconnecting. No, we're talking about uh, time with God. We're talking about a quiet time. Some people call it, I call it personal devotions that happen in solitude, in solitude. Now, I realize that it, it's easier for some than for others. It's easier for me and my wife you know, to have our time in solitude. Uh, but even when our kids were at home, it was, it was harder and I had to get up earlier, but it, you know, it can be done. But I, I know, I mean, I got, you got young mothers who have toddlers that take up all their time. I get it, right? And my, I was thinking about this and, and I had a thought and maybe it was the Lord giving me this thought. And my thought was, don't make young mothers who just struggle to find time to take care of their toddlers and babies, you know, and husbands. <laughs> don't make them feel guilty because it is a challenge. And so I think the idea of solitude is that we learn to do this on a regular basis. On a daily basis, it would be great. But maybe it's not always possible. But on a regular basis, don't lose touch with God. A story that I've uh, read many years ago, and I've heard, heard this being retold by others as well, uh, was about Susanna Wesley, who was a mother of Charles and John Wesley. And uh, she had more than just those two sons. She had a lot of children. And when they were young... She had to find a way to have her time of solitude. And, uh, and so she, what she did, and she taught the children to respect this time. When it was her time to pray, to be alone with God, she would raise an apron over her head at the table. She just raised an apron over her head. And the kids knew, don't bother her. She's talking to God. So, uh, it, so I'm saying, look, there are ways to do this. But it, it's important. And, and, and I think if there's one key that will lead to spiritual growth and vitality, it's time of solitude with God. It's personal devotions. I don't know about you, but for me, I need this. And this might be the hardest of the three that I'm going to give you, is to, to have that alone time with God regularly. Uh, I, I need this. i got to have the regular reminders of who God is. i got to have my regular uh, contact with God through prayer. And so I encourage you to, to do that. And very, very briefly, let me share with you three practical components for having uh, solitude time, for having devotional time with God. Three practical components. First of all, make it a daily appointment. All right. I said, and I, and I already said, look, some of you might be really hard, but make it a regular appointment. Okay, don't, let, don't let too many days go by without meeting with God. But do it daily. Do you remember when, when uh, God fed the, the people of Israel as they went through the desert, 40 years in the desert after they left Egypt? And He fed them with manna from heaven. And He told them to collect the manna daily. They couldn't collect one day enough for the next day. Some of them tried and the, the manna became... You know, it molded and, and it, it just spoiled. He said, every day you got to go out there and get manna for that day. And I feel like that's, that's what devotions do to us. They're nourishing like the manna was nourishing 
to the people of Israel. But we got to do it daily, if possible. The only time the Israelites could do it, could collect for two days, was during the, you know, the day before the Sabbath. So make a daily appointment. Put it in your calendar. If you use your phone as a calendar, put it in your calendar. And uh, remind yourself it's there so you can have a daily appointment. The second thing is choose a place of solitude. Choose a place of solitude. Whether it's an apron over your head. I don't think we have to do that because we have a lot more resources in our houses. Probably more places we can go. Jesus said when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And I love this next part. This is Matthew 6, 6, by the way, where Jesus says, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, we might say in solitude, will reward you. So find a place. Find a place. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have a TV room, right? A, 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 a media room, whatever you might call it. Well, set apart a prayer room. Maybe if you have enough room in the house, rooms in the house, find a place of solitude. For Some of you might be outside. We have a nice place to sit and to pray. So make a daily appointment. Choose a place of solitude. And use the best time of the day. People say, should I have my time with God at night or in the morning? Well, I mean, give God your best. When are you at your best? Right. Some of you are night owls. Let me see your hand. How many of you are night owls? Tell the truth. You're night owls. Okay, give give your evening to God. And, and so I'm going to think the rest of you are are. You know, early birds, you get up earlier. Then give that time to God. Whenever you're at your best is the best time for you to have time with God. Now, how much time are we talking about? 30 minutes, an hour? No, give God 10 minutes a day. Can you start with that? Oh, great. You want to improve that? That'd be wonderful. But we're talking about just having a, a few minutes with God. Um, Jesus did it early. Uh, very early in the morning, Mark says, Mark 135, well, it was still very dark. Some of you like to get up while it's still dark. That's what Jesus did. He got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So solitude is the first one. The second one, and I won't spend as much time on, on, on the second and third keys. The second one is community. Community is connecting with other followers of Jesus in a way that challenges us and encourages us to live out the gospel faithfully. If your rhythm of life is basically you, you and your phone, you and the internet, you and social media, and maybe you let some other people into your life, but if it's just basically you, then you're not going to thrive. Or if it's basically a few people that all think like you, like an echo chamber, you all agree on everything, then if you all agree on anything, that you know, one of you is indispensable or more, right? We need community. Community is what keeps us from the spirit of individualism which reigns in, in our culture today. We need to have a, a connection with others. This is why it's so important that you're here this morning, that you're able to come and gather, just meeting people, just greeting people, just talking for a few minutes with others. That does so much for our souls as Christians. Community might be formal, like connecting with others here at church at a Bible study, you know, wherever you might meet others, you know, have a spiritual connection. Or it might be in your family. If you live in a Christian home and, you know, other people in your family that are Christians and you talk about spiritual things at whatever level, people who understand the gospel. You might even have community with people at work. 
Let me, for another show of hands, how many of you work with someone or a group of people that are Christians like you are? How many of you have Christians at your job? Yeah, so I mean, you can talk to people about the Lord or how was church yesterday, uh, you know, whatever. It's just part of the community. And so it's a very important habit. I have much to say about this that I won't say right now, except to just remind you, and, and, and maybe this is something we need to beat uh, into our heads over and over, that we just need to let other people know us and get to know other people because it's it's just a... There's a strength and a joy and a vitality when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with other people and, and establish relationships. So the third habit, we talked about solitude, we talked about community. And the third one, and I'll finish with this, is ministry. Ministry is giving and serving so that others will believe and grow spiritually. So that others will believe and grow spiritually. And a lot of times when I say ministry, when we think ministry, a lot of people think, oh, it's like what you do, Pastor, right? Uh, no, that's not what I mean. You know, my, I'm, I'm in, in vocational ministry now. That's what I do. That's what I spend my week doing, leading the church and so many things involved in that. Uh, unlike what my eight-year-old granddaughter, Karis, thinks. We're trying to find somebody to babysit her one day that both her parents were working and she wasn't in school. And she told her parents, why don't you let Grumpy take care of me? He doesn't do anything. <clears throat> I do a few things <laughs> in vocational ministry. Uh, but I'm not talking about vocational ministry like what I'm doing now. Ministry is something that anybody can do because it's just giving and serving. It's just giving and serving. And again, it might be something formal that you do, uh, like taking a volunteer role here, a servant's role here at this church, or it might be giving, like I just talked about how faithful you're giving, and your faithful giving has helped us as a church. But it might be something informal. Jesus talked about this, that if you give somebody a cold, a cup of cold water, just a cup of cold water to someone in need, that's ministry. And God notices that. God sees those things. So it could be something that you don't do on a, on a formal basis. You don't have some organization that's tied into it, but you're just doing things for people. You're just meeting their needs, doing something for them. In either case, however you do this, the goal is to free up part of your life so that you have time to minister, to give, and to serve. Jesus, think of all the things that Jesus did his ministry years and have you ever stopped to think that almost everything that Jesus did was an interruption to his schedule? Almost every miracle that he worked was an interruption to his schedule. He's going somewhere. Somebody says, Master, my son is sick or my daughter is sick. And my brother is ill. That's the way he ministered. And sometimes when our schedule gets interrupted, we get upset. Yeah, I just, I just want to rest at home. I had a hard day. But if we can free up part of our life, part of our schedule, part of our soul to just give and to serve, that's ministry to let people experience the love of Christ. So those are the three basic habits that will help us to maintain spiritual vitality. And I think if you're a follower of Christ, 
it's important that you think about these things and, and decide how you're going to integrate these things into your life. I think they're critical. I don't think this is, uh, I don't think these things are optional. In fact, I know they're not optional. Well, if I, you know, if I, let me think about it. If I agree, I'll, uh, no, I think these things are important that we, that we learn to spend time with God and in solitude. I think it's important that we do that. I think it's also important that we uh, allow ourselves to be a part of a community, connect with, with people that are Christians, and, and certainly that we give and we serve, whether it's in a, in a formal way, which we love because we always need help here at the church. But if, it, if it's in an, an informal way, you're, something you're doing behind the scenes in your daily life, I think it's important that we, we do that. So I want to, as we finish today, I want to finish with a prayer. And as we pray, I want you to just evaluate where you are in these areas. These are things that all of us can do, regardless of age, at, a, at one level or another. I, again, I spoke about how challenging it is for certain people. And I think God understands that. And, you know, one thing I've learned over the years is that we do our part, and God is so good about filling in the gaps of our lives because we just can't cover everything. But would you receive this challenge today, and would you examine your life and say, where am I falling short? I started by saying, I don't know any of us who signed up for a dull, boring life. There's no reason to have it. We can maintain our spiritual vitality with God's help. Would you bow for prayer? Father, I'm grateful for this time in, uh, in your presence. We've had the opportunity to sing, to worship. We've lifted our songs with our voices in song. We've lifted our hands in worship. And I thank you for that opportunity. We brought our offerings, and we've heard what you have to say from your word. I believe this is something, God, that we all need. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be just brutally honest with ourselves. There is no joy when we're uh, spiritually listless. There is no joy when we're spiritually dead. We suffer and those around us suffer. We become critical. We blame others for our spiritual health. We don't want that, Father. I don't want that for myself, and I don't want that for anyone here at Solid Rock Church. Help us to turn to you. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers. No compromise. That's our prayer today as we come before you. In Jesus' name.